Namaste. It's lovely to be here with each one of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. We're going to start with a beautiful sound. This is the sound of a Tibetan bowl. And some of you have already heard Feza. Yeah. <laughs> so you know what's coming up. And there's a whole science of sound and how sound entrains us different frequencies. So enjoy the sound of this beautiful bowl. This bowl has traveled with me all over the world. So it has its consciousness of its own. Enjoy the sound of my bowl. Let's all take a nice deep breath. So I'm a storyteller. <laughs> and there was actually research that found that the moment you tell someone I'll tell you a story, the pleasure center of their brain lights up. Oh, you won't tell me a story. <laughs> we like stories, right? Uh, Denmark has been named the happiest country in the world for the last 40 years. Last year, Norway went ahead. But Denmark has been the number one country. And what's interesting about the stories that children are told in Denmark is that they're not always happy stories. Many of our fairy tales, it's like happily ever after. No matter what happens, it ends with happily ever after. In Denmark, they found life is not like that. Life is sometimes it's happy and sometimes not so happy. Sometimes it's confusing. Sometimes it's mixed up. Sometimes it's actually downright sad and distressing. And the stories that are told to the children are like this. They don't always have a happy ending. And that would seem like not a good idea, but turns out you start having more realistic understanding of life, realistic expectations from life. Right? And your idea of, I should have a fairy tale life, that's get tempered with reality. So it turns out accepting life the way it is is a really big key to happiness, as we've seen from Denmark, as opposed to living in your fantasy world. So while it's powerful to tell stories, it's no less powerful to realize that ultimately it's all a story. And let's start waking up from our stories. So this is the essence, is to realize the stories that we tell and other people tell. And by the way, we start, we, we start being told stories from a very young age, about who you are and what life is and what's important and what's not important. I remember I was told this uh, little bit of a shocking story about this kid whose father is a very successful businessman. And he wants his son also to be a very successful businessman. So he takes his son and he puts him, and he's quite young, maybe four or five years old, puts him on top of an almira. And he says, son, jump. He says, no, no, father, I can't jump. I'm going I'm to hurt myself. No, no, I'm here. I'll catch you. Jump, jump. Father, I can't. Trust me. I'm your father. Jump. So with great difficulty, he's okay, I'll jump. So he jumps and the father steps back and he lands, thud. He says, father, what did you do? He says, never trust anyone. <laughs> <laughs> First law, never trust anyone. 
Now see what he's done, he's conditioned his child to live a life like this. Never trust anyone. It's a story. Yes, it is true, sometimes we should be more, more, uh, conscious, but if you live your whole life thinking never trust anyone, that has a certain impact on your life. Have you, any of you heard of what's called the blue zones? Blue zones? So blue zones are places in the, in the, in the world where people live to 100 and longer. There's a very high percentage of people who live to 100 and longer. And they've identified six, seven such blue zones. One of the features of a blue zone is that people spend a lot of time in community. People are active throughout the day. Right? And one more feature of the blue zone is the attitude towards aging. In all these blue zones, like in many of our cultures, if you ask people, what's the best time of your life? They'll say, oh, 20s, early 30s, or teens, right? That's usually the spectrum, the best time of your life. In the blue zones, one difference is that they believe, you'll be surprised to hear this, life begins at 90. <laughs> life begins at 90? The fun begins at 90. You've made all your mistakes by now. You've tried everything in life. And in these cultures, the older you are, the more respected you are. You're not seen as a burden. There was actually, in Sardinia, Italy, which I was actually there a few weeks back, there was a lady who was looking after a man who was 115 years old. And she said, don't you feel trapped that you have to look after him all the time? She said, what are you saying? He is El Trujuro. He is my treasure. This is my privilege. Looking after him is my privilege. So you see the different attitude towards aging and growing old. Many of us, we get conditioned by the stories around what will happen at 30, what will happen at 40, what will happen at 50. And maybe half of it is your belief system. That by this age, I should have a lifestyle disease. By this age, my knees should start hurting. Because <laughs> that's what you've seen, right? So what we see is what we get. The author of this book, Healthy at 100, he found he could not keep up with the centenarians. They were goat farmers, some of them. He could not keep up with them. He, he himself was a marathoner. He could not keep up with them. They were so energetic. There's something to learn about the, the wisdom of these people. So first of all, let's realize that each one of us is a storyteller. When I ask you about your life, you tell me a story. Who you are, what you've done, where you've been. And guess what? That story changes from context to context, isn't it? When you're with friends, it's a different story. When you're with colleagues, it's a different story. In every context, the story changes. In fact, every few years, the story changes. How you see your life keeps changing. Now, instead of it getting changed by default, how about we become more conscious about the stories that we tell? And that's been my journey. It began when I was 16 years old. I went for a meditation course. And I got a glimpse of a very important ability, an ability that most of us are not taught at all. An ability that Aristotle called the essence of education. In fact, he defined education like this. And today, once in a while, I'll make you say things aloud. That's my way of helping us learn deeper. So let's say together, education is the ability to have a thought and not believe it. The ability to have a thought and not believe it is the mark of an educated mind. The ability to believe any thought, that's what most of us do, that's what fools do. So it's not just literacy, it's the capacity to stand back from our own psycho and biological aspect, is to step back and to witness what's going on, right? So this is also called helicopter view. I actually met uh, a couple that come for my talk, and they said, Nitya, we love what you said, and my wife and I have been following this for 20, 30 years, and we have a very good relationship. I said, give me an example, what do you do? So whenever we have a fight, and we do have once in a while disagreement, one of us will have the good sense to say, I'll meet you on the balcony. <laughs> And the balcony does not mean a physical balcony. The balcony means let's stand in a place where we can both look down at what's going on. 
instead of me getting caught up in my perspective and you getting caught up in your perspective, let's come to a place, what is he thinking? What is he feeling? What is she thinking? So it's a third person perspective. And they said when they come to that balcony view or you can say helicopter view, then they see things differently. Things look differently at 1,000 feet, 2,000 feet, 10,000 feet. You must have seen in, in your high-rise apartments right here in Amanora, ground floor looks very different from first floor, 10th floor, whatever, 20th, 30th floor, higher you go. Life changes, looks different. In fact, the Burj Khalifa, which is the tallest building in, in the world, did you know you can see the sunset twice in the Burj Khalifa? You can see it on a lower floor, fifth or sixth floor, sun is setting. You quickly get into the elevator. The elevators are such high-speed elevators. By the time you go to the top floor, you can again see the sun, sun setting. You see the sun setting twice in the Burj Khalifa, right? So like this, let us become high-quality storytellers. When you tell the story of your life, is it a sob story? And if it is, well, that's true. No one can argue with you. It's true for you. In computers, we have a term. You must have heard this. G-I-G-O. Does anyone know what G-I-G-O is? Garbage in. You know this, right? Garbage in, garbage out. Which means you put in low-quality programming, you get a low-quality output. You put in a high-quality thought, you get a high-quality result. The quality of your thought is the quality of the result that you get. So here's a fun way of saying this. Let's say together. Disastrous thoughts. Disastrous, thought. disastrous outcomes. <laughs> Negative thoughts, tell me. Thoughts. Positive thoughts. Positive. Miraculous thoughts. Miraculous. The quality of your thoughts, the quality of the stories that you tell. So the Buddha said there are four, in fact he said there are five abilities we have to master in this life, to have a happy life. What are the five abilities? He says, to see the unpleasant as unpleasant. To see the pleasant as pleasant. To see the unpleasant as pleasant. What's the fourth one? To see the... Pleasant as unpleasant. And the fifth one is to silence all these perceptions. Not to be caught up in any perception. To see, the to see the unpleasant as unpleasant, right? A child is hitting another child. That's unpleasant and it is unpleasant. You should break up the fight. Not a good idea. Come on, we can solve, out these, solve these things in a better way. We don't have to hit each other. This is not a nice way. Do you like it when someone hits you? I don't like it. So then why are you doing it to somebody else? All your four tests are telling us something around that, right? To see the pleasant as pleasant, a child comes and gives you a flower. It's so pleasant. You see it as pleasant. You don't say, why did you pluck that flower? <laughs> it's all right. The child doesn't know. A child coming and giving you a flower, you appreciate it. This little um, child came home carrying a stone. right? And this child finds the stone so beautiful. And the mother is like, oh my god, all this dirt is falling on my carpet. <laughs> but she holds herself back and she says, for this child, that stone is more valuable than my jewelry. Said, That's a really beautiful stone. Come, let's wash it, then you can keep it in your room. You see? So you meet people where they are. The fourth one's very, the third one's very interesting. Can you give me an example of seeing something unpleasant as pleasant? I have a little rule. Whenever the phone rings, we take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. And smile. And say with me, how wonderful. <laughs> right? This is good. So now throughout this session, whenever the phone makes any kind of sound, how wonderful. And if the whole time we just do how wonderful, that would be a good session. <laughs> so give me an example of the third one. To see the unpleasant as pleasant. I just did that. There you go. How wonderful. You did that. That's a good example. How about exercising? Is that an example? Exercising is not always pleasant. You've got to get out of a nice cozy bed. You've got to go to the gym. It's painful. But then the results of that are pretty pleasant. So they asked Olympic athletes, what's your secret? How are you able to get up in the morning so early and do all of these things? We are not able to do this. You do it year after year, hours and hours you train. How do you do it? And the, the insight they gave people is, we don't think of how difficult it will be to go to that cold gym to go to that cold swimming pool, to go to that cold athletic, whatever it is, the field. We don't think of that. We think of how good we'll feel afterwards. 
You see, it's like a brain hack. You tell yourself how good I'll feel having done that. You see the unpleasant as pleasant. This is a very important thing to learn. It's an important quality for us to gain in our life. Otherwise, we will always be doing what's pleasant, pleasant, pleasant. And in life, the best things are not always pleasant. The fact that you're all sitting over here, you've had to sometimes do what's unpleasant. I'm sure you all had to sit and do exams and studies and many other things, right? But they've got you to a place where now you can appreciate life a lot more. So they say that the, the foolish people in this world, they always do what's easy and their life becomes difficult. The wise people in this world are willing to do what's difficult and their life becomes easy. Right? And what's the example of the fourth one? Something very pleasant that you can see is unpleasant. This should not be so difficult. Bad habits. Bad habits? Yeah, great. Right? So we're all looking at that cake, only so much cake is left. <laughs> How can the moment Nitya finishes, I go straight over there? <laughs> but then you start seeing, no, no, actually, you know, I've already had a big breakfast. So you start to see something pleasant also as unpleasant. It's why we're doing all of this, to balance the mind. It's all designed to balance the mind. The fifth quality is a nice one, which is the ability to not believe our thoughts, to actually silence our perceptions. So try this right now. Become aware of the sounds you're hearing, all the different sounds. Take a deep breath. What were some of the sounds that you heard? Cutlery. There was some cutlery sound. What else? There was a phone. There was a phone sound. Right? Some kind of uh, some kid sound as well. Yeah. Somebody hammering also. Different kinds of sounds. AC sound. Yeah. All kinds of different sounds. And you keep going, getting more and more attentive. You will notice more and more subtle sounds. For example, you may even hear your own heart beating. You know, uh, if you go to the quietest, there are actually laboratories which are the quietest places on the planet. They are so quiet, you cannot hear anything. It is so quiet. It is eerily quiet. But even in these places you hear something. You hear your heart beating. You hear the activity of your own nervous system. It sounds like a faint buzz. I've been to, I went to Dunagiri, I took a group to Dunagiri for a one month retreat. And up there, high above the clouds, there was a kind of a ringing sound. I said, what is the ringing sound? What's going on? Am I out of oxygen? What's going on? So I asked him, he said, no, this is the sound of silence. Sound of silence. silence. This is the sound that you've forgotten. Sound of si silence has a sound. The sound of silence, because you're living in constantly environments with noise, we've forgotten this. And research is finding that that is therapeutic. For you to be in some period of just silence, just being. I was just this, this morning I was reading about a man who was a consultant to some of the top CEOs in the world. And he used that position to understand how do these people replenish themselves. These are people who are making such big decisions that impact thousands of lives. How do they replenish themselves? So you know what he found in common with all of these people? When he asked them how do you replenish yourself, someone said I go sailing. Someone says I take long cycling trips. Someone says I go trekking. Someone says I listen to classical music. Someone says I go scuba diving. You know what was common in all of these different things? There was no voices. Sometimes there was not silence. There was classical music and not silence. But there was no voices. The, the absence of voices. The absence of concepts. When you're cycling, you'll still hear some sounds. Right? When you're scuba diving, I am a scuba diver, you constantly hear the bubble sound. Bup, 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 bup. Constantly you're hearing bubble sounds. But it's the absence of voices. And in that moment, you connect with something. Your thinking gets clearer. So if you've never touched that fifth dimension, we haven't really begun to get a deeper grasp of the mystery of life.
right? We will remain at the level of what's called positive thinking, positive thinking, positive thinking, positive, that's fine, that has its place, but there's something deeper than that. So our journey, in my, what I realized, in my, you know, I, like you were sharing, I was, uh, I learned meditation, I did an MBA, uh, I didn't work for six years, I only worked for six months, <laughs> and then I quit my job, I became a Buddhist monk. And one thing I learned in my journey of being a monk, let's say together, from thinking to feeling, from feeling to being. This is what we're all thirsting for. We're thirsting for states of being. Why were you attracted to this session? You thought about it, you wondered how it would feel, and you hope to be in a certain state of being. Everything we do in life, all your rotary projects, it's not just for thinking. It's for thinking, but then you take action on it, makes you feel a certain way, and hopefully you come to a place of, ah, we have done the best that we can. There's a nice phrase, let's say together, die, die. empty. Deep down, we want to die empty. We want to give everything, not less. And the biggest regrets people have at the end of their life is not so much what they did, it is what they did not do. You're right, that's the biggest regrets. It's the pain of what if, what if, if only, if only. This isn't, how can you resolve this pain? At least what you did, you know, okay, I did that, that was a horrible mistake, fine. Say sorry or whatever, learn the lesson. But what you did not do, you can only imagine, if only, if only. So the courage to lean in and to take a stand, to be a master storyteller. Now let me give you an example of a powerful story that changed my life. I was traveling from Rishikesh to New Delhi. With me in the car were three Japanese people. So we got into a conversation. I'm very fascinated by Japanese culture. Did you know that Japan, I think of all the world civilizations, there was a period where for hundreds of years there was no war for hundreds of years. Kyoto was the capital. Now you can imagine, just in Pune, with a few decades of no war, how Pune is developing. Now can you imagine a country where for hundreds of years there is no war, culture comes to a very high level, of very, very high. So you see, you go to Japan, tea drinking is a very high art. Flower arranging is a very high art. Simplest of things, the way they make you know, tofu that we all eat, tofu making is a very high art, soba noodles is a very high art. Everything in life, why? Hundreds of years to perfect, hundreds of years. So there's a lot to learn from that culture. So one thing, and of course they have their own shadow side as well, not to say that every culture, no culture is perfect, right? They've got their own shadow, they've got their own problems. One thing that we can learn from the Japanese, so this is what these people told me, in Japan we believe, let's say together, if you say thank you, one million times, the universe is transformed forever. Like what, what, how will my saying thank you transform the universe? And I got quiet, because when I don't understand something, I've learned, don't think so much, get quiet. The answer comes not at the thought level, at the feeling, at the being level. So for the next few minutes, I was quiet in the car. I said, what do these people mean? How can my saying thank you transform the universe? And I began to realize they have a different concept of the universe. What we are taught in school is, there is planet Earth, then there's a moon, then there's a solar system, then there's a galaxy, then there are many galaxies, then there's a universe, and then they may even teach you there's a multiverse, multiples, multiple universes. But what these people are referring to is a different kind of universe. What you're seeing, what you're hearing, smelling, tasting and touching, this is your local universe. In fact, this is a much more real universe. You know, when I was a kid, the way we would remember the planets, Mercury, Venus, Earth, you know how the formula that we were taught, my very educated mother, how does it go? My very educated mother said, 
what? Something like that. My very educated mother said there are only nine planets, something like that. So basically, you get all the planets. Mercury, Mercury Venus, Earth, Mars. Some of you know this formula. Very, very? Very, very early morning, just shook up That's another way of doing it? Very, very? Oh, that's another way of saying it. <laughs> my very educated mother just showed us nine planets. This is another way of remembering it. And why just showed us nine planets? Because Pluto at that time was now being said no longer a planet. <laughs> right? So your universe, outer universe, is based on the observation of a select few people sitting in laboratories or doing advanced mathematics. And they may change their mind. Then your whole universe will change or what? So a much more reliable universe is your local universe. And one thing I learned in my journey, let's say together, if it's in my universe, it's, in my universe. it's my, responsibility. my responsibility. So if you're walking on the street and you see a chips packet down there, instead of saying, oh, our country is horrible, look at this, you're throwing chips packet on the ground now, How, why these people don't do anything? Just dip your mouth, pick up the chips packet, and go and put it into the next dustbin that you find. Then you're part of the solution, otherwise you're also part of the problem. In my monastery, the teacher had, our teacher had a very simple rule. He said, if you complain, that's fine, you can complain, but I'm going to ask you, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. And if you don't have an answer, then you're in trouble. <laughs> right? He says, so break this habit of just complaining. And then if you're going to do it anyway, then why complain? Just do it. Then why waste your energy of complaining? And But here he's very smart. So he says, but some of you will not complain. You'll have a suggestion. <laughs> it's not a complaint, it's just a suggestion. If you make a suggestion, very good. Now you are responsible to implement the suggestion. <laughs> I love this. So he set the culture of the monastery right there in those two sentences. If you complain, you got to do something about it. And if you make a suggestion, excellent, now you implement it. Why are you expecting other people to implement your random suggestions? We are not here to implement your suggestions, right? I love that teaching. If it's in my universe, it's my responsibility. So we go from being victims of our universe to being participants in our universe, to realizing we are actually the creators of our universe. How powerful each one of us is. So I am the god of my local universe. How? Because what I see, yatha drishti, tatha shrishti. The way I see it, it becomes like that. If I decide this is an ordinary day, with an ordinary group, I'm giving an ordinary talk, and these people look distracted anyway, nothing's going to happen. <laughs> if I think like that, that will be my reality. But if I think this is an extraordinary day, if I think actually, I've waited my whole life to sit here, which is not inaccurate, it's taken me my whole life to come and sit here. It's taken you your whole life to come and sit there. And this might be the most important conversation we'll ever have. If I think like that, that will also be true. Yatha drishti, tatha shrishti. What you focus on expands. This is a very powerful teaching. And this applies to all dimensions of our life. So let us become masterful storytellers. One thing I realized in my journey is, as you just start paying more attention to yourself and your own inner process, you start also becoming sensitive to other people. So when people come and talk to you, they even say very little, you can, you can start feeling their field. I'm sure you've experienced this. For example, some of you here are doctors, and uh, you meet a doctor who just basically, just barely passed out of medical school, one or two years. And you can sense their enthusiasm. You can also sense whether they're overdoing something or underdoing something. Because you have so much experience, right? You've taken so many years to get where you are. You can understand. Overdoing, getting over-involved, or getting too detached. And you can give them correction points. Because you have so much experience. There's a nice, uh, I wrote this on Facebook some years back, that an ordinary person wants to be an expert. An expert wants to be a master. <laughs> and a master just wants to be ordinary again. 
We're trying to get somewhere, get somewhere, get somewhere. Ultimately, it's about being where we are. And the more comfortable you are as you are, and not in all these identities, the truer you are. Before my talk, somebody asked me, Sunitya, what are you going to talk about? I said, I don't know. <laughs> you don't know it about to talk? <laughs> I said, because what I've learned is that it takes infinite preparation for me to be who I'm not. But it takes no preparation for me to be who I am. So why should I prepare and pretend to be who I'm not? I'd rather be who I am. Right? So just like when you meet certain people, you can sense their limitation. Similarly, when you meet certain people, you can sense your limitation. I know certain people. When I go and hang out with them, suddenly I feel, oh wow, I can feel my own inner blockages. Being with these people who are so lucid and clear, I can notice my blockages. When I was a monk, I was invited to Pune and uh, with my, one, of, one of my teachers. And we were invited to give talks in different places. And when we give talks, we thought, Nitya, that was amazing. What a fantastic talk. What an amazing talk. I felt pretty good about myself. Then I went back to my monastery and my teacher gave a talk. And I felt like a little ant. <laughs> so, oh my goodness, this man has got such a wonderful vision. And I was feeling so proud of myself. You see, so compared to someone, I'm magnificent. And compared to someone, I'm a little, little ant. And it's alright, that's how it works. I'm sure my teacher also, if he was to meet somebody else, he'd also feel like an ant. So like this, we don't take it so tightly, so seriously. If I've been put here, then I'm meant to be here. If you've been put there, then you're meant to be there. Wherever you're put in life, there's a reason for it. Show up. So three important lessons I learned, let's say together. Show up. Show up. Share your gifts. Share Synergize. Synergize. Show up means wherever you are, really be there. If I'm here, I'm here. Share your gifts means each one of us has got different gifts. Right? I'm, I may not be very good at preparing food, but I may be good at telling jokes or inspiring or telling stories. That may be my gift. Each one of us here has a gift. Takes all the fingers of the hand to do things. Every finger has its own role. If I want to clean my ears, my thumb is hopeless. <laughs> my little finger is very good. <laughs> If I want to lift something, a heavy shopping bag, little finger is no good. Different fingers have different roles. Each one of us is here to play a role. So show up, share your gifts. In the very sharing of your gifts, you hone your gifts. One of the problems in our education system is, we never ask what the gifts are. We, keep, we have some arbitrary thing that everybody should be good at, mathematics, science, whatever. And we're trying to measure everybody against that. Imagine if the ducks in the forest were asked to climb trees, and the monkeys were asked to swim underwater. I mean, everybody would be mediocre, everybody would fail. The elephants would fail, the monkeys would fail, the hummingbirds would fail, everybody would fail. But everybody's got a unique gift. There was a big forest fire. All the animals were dazed. What do we do? What do we do? They were running, they were scared. And one little hummingbird went to the lake and went and dropped a drop of water. Went to the lake and went and dropped. Kept doing this. And the elephant went over and said, what are you doing? You little, tiny little hummingbird. What do you think? One drop will make any difference? Such a big forest fire. And the hummingbird said, I'm doing what I can. I'm doing what I can. That elephant felt embarrassed. That elephant in one go could have put out an entire tree worth of fire, right? With one big blow of his trunk. But he wasn't doing it. So are we really doing what we can in any situation? Are we showing up? Are we sharing our gifts? And guess what? When you share your gift, it energizes other people. Just like you're doing here in Rotary. You're sharing your gifts in invites other people. Wow, you people are doing good work. I was sharing in the car uh, with uh, Namita, that this is the journey from, let's say together, from excellence, excellence. To, significance. to significance. Most of you in Rotary have reached a certain level of excellence in your professional lives, in your careers, you've seen a lot, you've traveled the world, you've had many experiences, but at some point you realize that's not enough. It's time to go beyond that, go, time to go beyond yourself. It's a transpersonal journey. You've made the personal journey, you've made the journey from dependence to independence, now you've got to come to that third dimension of interdependence your common connection. There's a lovely term that Thich Nhat Hanh would use. He said interbeing. Interbeing. See how everything is interpenetrating everything else. 
We are sitting here because of clouds. Did you know that? We are sitting here because of clouds. Without clouds, there would be no rain, there would be no lakes, there would be no water taps in our, in our home. So clouds are responsible for us being here. Lakes are responsible for us being here. Ants are, did you know, did you know that if ants disappeared tomorrow, or if bees disappeared tomorrow, the entire ecosystem would collapse? In Kashmir, they're having troubles with apples. The bees are disappearing. You know what they have to do? Take long bamboo poles and go touching all the flowers to pollinate them. How difficult it is to pollinate all these different, uh, you know, 500 apples on each tree and so many trees. Who's going to go with a bamboo pole doing all of this? They're going to go crazy. If ants disappear, if bees disappear, the ecosystem collapses. When humans disappear, the rivers run clean. <laughs> One day there was an auto rickshaw strike in Pune. I could feel the air quality was different. One day, auto rickshaw strike. I could feel it. Right? Humans disappear, the forests grow back. So actually we have to realize what impact we are having on the planet. And our, in our unfettered sense, you know, we've been hypnotized. The, the tribals in the Amazon rainforest, they have a nice tradition. They wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning. And they sit with their shaman. Shaman is a wise man of the village. And they share their dreams. In that culture, dreams are no less important than this life. In fact, in our Indian tradition also, they say that your waking life is fine. Your dream life is more real. And beyond that, what lies is even more real. What is more subtle is actually more real. So in that tradition, they believe dreams are very important. They sit and they discuss dreams from 3 o'clock in the morning till sunrise. And in their understanding, us so-called civilized people, we are in a nightmare. We are in a nightmare and we don't even realize it. What can be worse than being in a nightmare and not even realizing it? Thoroughly disconnected. Disconnected with nature, disconnected with ourselves, disconnected with the people in our family, thoroughly disconnected. We are living in a nightmare. So they started an organization called Pachamama Alliance. And you know the byline of the Pachamama Alliance, let's say together, Awaken, Awaken. the Dreamer. <laughs> and these wise men from their forest, they're saying, you know, we have to now come and help you. You people are living a nightmare. You don't know what you're doing. You're taking a chainsaw, you're cutting your own legs. You don't know what you're doing. You're so disconnected. What are you doing? You're cutting down the forest which gives you the air to breathe. How disconnected could you be? How crazy could you be? But in a nightmare, we do all those things. We don't realize what we're doing. Right? So awaken the dreamer. So within each one of us is this capacity to show up, to share our gifts, and to synergize with the gifts of others. I do not have all the pieces of the puzzle. I have some, and you have some. And together, we can start getting a more true picture of our world. The biggest disease nowadays is loneliness. The biggest disease is our sense of disconnection. And we are more connected than ever, and we are more disconnected than ever. So then we have to ask ourselves, again from Denmark there's a nice learning. Have any of you heard this word from Denmark? Let's say it together. Huger. Have any of you heard this word? It's spelled H-Y-G-G-E. Huger. But nobody can pronounce it correctly. When I go to Denmark, they don't understand what I'm saying. <laughs> it's difficult to pronounce, but it's something like Huger, 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 something like that. H-Y-G-G-E. And the Danes believe this is one of the reasons they're the happiest country in the world. What does it mean? It means cozy togetherness. Cozy togetherness. There are a few elements that lead to cozy togetherness. One is non-distraction. If you've got your cell phone, even on the table, even face down, it impacts the quality of the conversation. Just even having the cell phone within your range of viewing impacts the conversation. So put distractions away. Second one, Hugo, non-complaining. Have a complaint-free interaction. Third one about Hugo, non-comparison. I don't have to, oh, I'm so good, I'm so great, I've done this, you've done nothing. Bragging, non-complaint, bragging and comparing, put that to a side. Controversial topics. You're having a perfectly nice gathering with friends and someone talks about the latest government policy and now you see that immediately. 
The room gets divided, people have got different points of view, right? We all get into our heads. There's a lovely Tibetan teaching, let's say together. When two yogis meet and they disagree, one of them is not a yogi. When two scholars meet and they agree, one of them is not a scholar. <laughs> nice teaching. What are they saying? The yogis live from the heart. The heart is about unification. The scholars live from the head. The head, look at the brain. The brain itself is split. There's an entire left and right brain hemisphere. Right? So the brain will always vigatan, vibhajan, vigatan, vibhajan, analyze, discriminate, this and that, left and right. It has its place. But what I found is people who live from the head, everybody for them is wrong. Only they are right. <laughs> Nobody is as right as they are right. Nobody understands. Even when I was a monk, I noticed. The scholarly monks would always disagree. Even within the same tradition, same teacher. And they'll say, okay, you're fine, but you got some fundamental things wrong. <laughs> right? And the yogis, I went for a Sufi yogic dialogue. I was in, uh, in, in Korea, in Japan. And these are people from very different traditions. Sufis had come the, uh, from Kashmir, Shaivism. People, Pandits had come from there. Different people had come. Yogis had come. And they were getting along famously. <laughs> they were getting along so famously, so well. In fact, there was also one of my teachers, he organized a conference for Buddhist monks and Christian monks. Buddhist monastics and Christian monastics. Everybody there was a monk except the person who was convening. He was the only non-monk. He was a meditation teacher. He was a lay person. The first question he asked everybody was very beautiful. He said, let's not talk about what we believe. Let's talk about what we do. What's your day like? So the Christians said we wake up at 3, 2 o'clock in the morning, we have a morning, morning chants. Buddhists said we wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning, we have a morning chant. Then what do you do? Then we sit in quiet contemplation. What do you do? We meditate. Then what do you do? Then we go and do our chores in the monastery. Yeah, we also clean our monastery. Then what do you do? The Christian monks would prepare food. The Buddhist ones would walk outside to get their food. And you look at the whole day, whole day, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you actually doing? 95% of the day is identical. In what are you believing? Poles apart. Poles apart. Right? The concept, the theology is poles apart. The practice is almost identical. So there was a lot of affinity. Second question he asked them, what was the most difficult experience of your monastic life? The most difficult experience of your monastic life and how did you overcome it? And now the real human stories began coming out. I struggled with my sexuality. Because monks are celibate. I struggled with my pride. I struggled with self-doubt. I struggled with this, struggled with that. And everybody could relate to each other. You see, at a human level, we can all relate to each other. Tell me your pain, I'll tell you mine. And now we come together. There's a connection here. But when you get into belief systems, there's no end to that. Identities, there's no end to that. And that was one of the best conferences. One photographer had come, one media person had come to cover this event. He was very confused. I don't understand. Christian monks, Buddhist monks, you're getting along so well. There's no argument. <laughs> he was hoping to get some juicy, you know, arguments and some points. He says, no. And the monk said, you know, Christian monks and Buddhist monks, we have more in common than monks and lay people. A Christian monk has more in common with a Buddhist monk than a Christian monk has in common with a Christian person. There's actually more in commonality there. So, commonality is the basis for friendship. Anytime you see something in common with somebody else, you feel an affinity. Common passion. Like some of you go abroad and you see someone speaking Indian dialect, Bengali or Gujarati. India, where are you from? And you shake hands and you're so happy to meet. And that certain person, maybe your neighbor over here, will never look at his face. <laughs> but when you go there, how nice. And you become famous friends. I've noticed that I go to teach in the US quite often. 
You know, in the US, Indian community sticks close together. And there's a reason for it. Because here you have your relatives, your family, so many, so many. There you have only have each other. If something happens to you, you only have each other. They make it a point to meet each other. They make it a point to celebrate the festivals. And I've noticed the kids in the US get better training for Indian culture than Indian kids do. Indian kids are all busy aping the West. But they, their, their parents make it a point. Go for a, uh, go for a like uh, Chinmay Mission has a class and many other missions have a class. Go learn, understand these things. And they typically know a lot more than our own tradition knows. Take a minute of silence. Tune in. Just be quiet for a bit. Shift from thinking to feeling. Shift from feeling to being. This also means shift from the head to the whole body, inhabit your whole body. And from your body to the space in the room, inhabit the space in the room. Of course, there'll be thoughts. Just come back to the feeling. What's it like to have a body in this moment? What's it like to be the space in the room? Let's all take a deep breath. And if you like, you can slowly open your eyes. Let's say together, how wonderful. So now, the rest of this talk, I would like to give you some practices. It's all, it's all nice to hear inspiring things, but unless you root it into a practice, nothing really happens, right? In Buddhism, we have three dimensions. Let's say together, view, view. practice, Conduct. So when I'm speaking, I can give you a new viewpoint, a new way of looking at things, but that's not enough. It has to be embedded into a practice. So you're going to learn some practices now. And as you practice, 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 it comes into your conduct. It becomes a part of your life. It becomes who you are. It becomes tacit. All right? It is now thoroughly integrated into your being. When I came back from being a monk for about six years, uh, I took the keys for our car. And I was very curious, can I still drive the car? <laughs> Because six years I've not driven a car, right? And I get into the driver's seat and I put on the seat belt and my leg knows where to go and my hand knows where to go and guess what? Within a minute I'm driving. Because I had driven enough that it was now part of muscle memory. It's part of who I am. I was just, uh, two days back, I met a pilot from the Navy and he'd been a MiG pilot and then he left the, na the, the, the Navy and he told me that, uh, I asked him this question, that there are many, there's Sukhois, there are different kinds of planes so, is it possible for a pilot to transition from one aircraft to another in their career? He said that never happens. 
I said, why is that? He says, in the transport sector, it can happen. You're driving, you're, dri you're flying a, your Airbus, you can fly a Boeing through some training. But in, 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 in fighter pilots, it never happens. Because you practice so deeply that the, pilot, the, the plane is literally an extension of your body. You have to practice, practice, practice. There is no time, split-second decisions. You cannot think, hey, what am I supposed to do? It has to become a part of your body. So you never transition. Once you get into a particular uh, uh, platform, you stay on that platform for the rest of your flying career. Fascinating, right? So now we've been given this platform, this human platform, this body, right? Let us get good at operating this, this body as well. Let's not, let's not just leave it to some default setting. You know, most of us, we buy phones every three, four years. Nowadays, your phones don't have a life for more than three or four years. You buy a phone, you'll notice it comes with many pre-installed apps. There's a nice name for some of these apps. It's called bloatware. <laughs> bloatware, some of them just, just hogging memory. It's like not even required, right? It comes with a pre-installed, what's it called? The background image, right? Pre-installed ringtone. Some people will never change that background image. They will never change that ringtone. They will be stuck with that same ringtone and background image and those same apps for the rest of the life of the phone. Same way, when we come into this world, there are certain default settings. You are told women are supposed to wear these clothes, have long hair, men are supposed to do this, boys don't cry, all kinds of default settings are given to you. And you can go through your life with those default settings or a few of us will question, is that really the only way to live? If I'm a woman, do I have to have short hair? Do I have to not wear jeans? No, maybe not. Maybe for some people. And you start questioning those default settings. There's a nice saying, let's say it together. Good girls go to heaven. Bad girls go wherever they want. <laughs> you don't have to get locked into some idea of how you're supposed to be, right? Alright, so let's learn some practices. So when you wake up in the morning, the first practice I'd like to offer you, put your ten fingertips together. I'd like you to think of ten things you're grateful for. And these are actually two flower buds, lotus buds. I want you to open the lotus of gratitude one by one. Think of something, think of something, think of something. Little by little, open all the ten petals and put your hand on your heart. Feel really grateful. Ready? Eyes closed. And let's start thinking of what we're grateful for. Take your time, no rush. Really feel it. Whenever both your flowers open, take your time, bring them on your heart and just feel grateful, feel thankful. Keep a smile on your face. Everyone can bring their hands on their heart, very nice. Nice deep breath. And release your hands. Let's say together, how wonderful. So when you start your day like this, it's a very powerful way to start your day. Well begun is half done. You've heard that phrase, phrase I woke up on the wrong side of the bed. <laughs> no, no, you woke up on the wrong side of your head, <laughs> not even the bed. You were thinking about something that was off. So you start, and many people actually they wake up and they start thinking of what's unfinished, what has to be done, what hasn't been done. 
I was recently teaching in Sardinia, like I said, and there was a group there, a lot of them were Jewish people. And they said to me, Nitya, in our religion we believe that when you sleep at night, your soul goes back to God. And then when you wake up, it means God has given you your soul back to experience another day. In other words, you cannot take it for granted. If you woke up in the morning, it's a gift. Wow, God gave me my soul back. Because at night time it went back to God. So the first thing a devout Jew does is give thanks. Oh my, wow, wonderful, another day, another day. So grateful. In Hinduism also we have this. In many great religions, that's how you start your day. You start your day by giving thanks. Gratitude, gratitude. There's a little joke about this uh, Native American tribe. And there was an old, like an old, uh, oldest man in the tribe. His job was to name every new child that is born. All right? So they had different kinds of names, like, you know, uh, bald eagle, or, uh, you know, fast jackal. Everybody had their own name. So one boy comes to the father, uh, the old man, the grandfather. What is your process? How do you define, how do you decide what name should go to whom? He says, my process is very simple. When I wake up in the morning, I open the teepee. I open the, what's it called, the flap of my teepee. And the first thing I see, I remember it. If someone is born that day, that's the name I give that child. But why are you asking, big dog pooping? <laughs> right? It's what you focus on. Right? <laughs> so if you look at big dog pooping, your whole day becomes big dog pooping. Right? Right? So then your whole, that poor child's life is gone, big dog pooping, because that's the first thing you saw. Right? So when you wake up in the morning, be conscious about where you give your attention. The wise ones say, trace your attention back, from the brain back to the heart. What does it mean? Thoughts began coming, but just go back and say, where is this? A little while back, there was nothing. Out of nothing, this day has come. Out of nothing, this world has come. So the powerful question to ask is, who am I? Who am I? What is this? Who am I? So not I am this and I am that, just I am. And that is the best practice you can do. It's a subtle practice, but it's a powerful practice. Then you can count what you're grateful for, what you're thankful for. Start your day with gratitude. There was a teacher who asked his student to get a glass of water. Got a glass of water. Now put a spoonful of salt. Now taste it. Student says, what are you saying, master? It's so salty, I can't drink this water. Okay, let's go. Let's get a bucket of water. Put a salt, uh, spoonful of salt. Now taste it. So now I can't taste much. Then go outside, there's a lake. Let's step into the lake. Let's put a spoonful of salt. Mix it up, mix it up. Now try. Says, master, what are you saying? It's totally fresh. I can't taste any salt. And the master smiled and said, in your life, there will be water and there will be salt. Right? Salt is a given. We are all going to have salt in our life. Salt is the unwanted things. The unwanted things that happen, the wanted things that don't happen. The Buddha says, Appiyehi sampa yogo dukho, piyehi vippa yogo dukho. Manchi etham na labati tampi dukkhan. So getting what you don't want is suffering. Being dissociated from what you do like is suffering. Not getting what you want is suffering. So that is the salt of your life. Everybody's got salt in their life. But the teacher also said there's water in your life. And water represents gratitude. For many of us, gratitude is like a little glass of water. Not even a normal glass, like the teacups that you get from tailors. <laughs> One little cup. What are you grateful for? Yeah, yeah. Family is nice. What, else? what are you grateful for? Yeah, job is nice. What are you grateful for? Yeah, health is nice. What else? No, things are okay. <laughs> People can't go beyond that. I Once on Facebook I wrote, write down a hundred things you're grateful for. And people said, Nitya, you, you mean 100 or 10? <laughs> you really mean 100? 100 things? I said, can you find 100 things wrong with the world? He said, 38 in my family only. <laughs> 50 more in the city? <laughs> Much more than 100. 100 is too little. So you can find, you struggle to find 100 things right with the world. You easily find 100 things wrong with the world. The problem is not with the world. Yatha drishti, 
Tatha Shristi. So we should come to a place where we struggle to find things wrong with the world. So no, but that also has its place. But that also has its place. When a seed is sown in the ground, the first thing that happens after you germinate, what happens? It splits, it breaks. From the point of view of the seed, it's a huge tragedy. It broke, the seed broke. The story hasn't ended there. Now a plant comes out. And from that plant, thousands of new seeds come out. The story doesn't end. The limitation is a limitation of our point of view, of our drishti. If you had a cosmic drishti like Krishna had during the battle, then even the killing of your own relatives is not a problem. Because he has a cosmic drishti. How far is the horizon of your understanding? You know, a person who uh, is a beggar on the street, only interest is getting enough money for my next meal. A person with a shoe shine guy sitting next to him, only interest is enough money for the day. The guy who sends pan, pan next to him, enough for two, three days. The shopkeeper next to him, for a month. The warehouse guy, for a few months. The company that's manufacturing it, maybe for a quarter, for more than that, six months, one year. The government, five year plans. The sage, eternity. The kind of consciousness you have is the kind of influence you have, is the kind of life that you have. So our main work in this lifetime should be the work of consciousness, not the contents of consciousness. That will not give you true happiness. Research found that, you know, as I'm speaking, I'm not too discouraged because research found 47% of the time your mind is wandering. <laughs> so if I'm doing even a little bit better than that, oh, this is fantastic news. 47% of the time our minds wander. And mind wandering has its place. Creativity comes from there, associations get formed over there. So actually, I don't mind your mind wandering, because that's how you're learning. You think, oh, he's saying this, do I agree with it? Oh, yeah, I remember. Oh, yeah, that. I'm not sure about that. And that part is actually how it's getting integrated. That's actually how learning happens. Learning happens by forming relationships. However, research also found, let's say together, we are happiest when we are in the present. So when you're in the present and focusing on what you're doing, that is where the happiness is. So in your rotary also, you take, have many events. And chances are people are going and they're fully, you know, whether you had the camp, the health camp, 100%, what's happening with this lady, what does she need? That is happiness because you're giving it your full attention. When you're fully engaged, you're fully happy. Right? So giving your, the quality of your consciousness is the quality of your life. Which is why we started our day with gratitude. Think of 10 things you're grateful for or write down 10 things you're grateful for. And your challenge is, don't think of exactly the same thing every day. It becomes mechanical. We oh, yeah, are family and dog and da 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 da. Then it's all mechanical. Can you think of five good things that happened yesterday? And five more things for today? Okay, you can have one or two common things. The main thing is not about commonality or non-commonality. You should feel it. Because what is the journey we said earlier? From thinking to? To? That's the journey. So no matter what you're studying in this world, could be medicine, could be you want to become a pilot, could be a sport, you have to go from, say it again, thinking to feeling, to being. This is our journey. This is what I learned in my monastic life. Let's say together, conscious mind thinks, subconscious mind feels, superconscious mind knows. So that's our journey. From conscious, to subconscious, to superconscious. And my teacher revealed to me that one more layer. So please say with me, conscious mind, subconscious mind, superconscious mind, never mind. <laughs> so, <laughs> We, are, we want to get to the place of never mind. <laughs> never mind. Jiddu Krishnamurti was asked, what's your secret? How come at 90 you're so energetic, you're so happy? Jiddu Krishnamurti, one of the great teachers of India and of the world actually. And he said, my secret, I don't mind what happens. And he didn't say, I don't care what happens. There's a world of difference between I don't care what happens and I don't mind what happens. The ancient Stoics tell us, the best thing you'll do in your life is to distinguish 
between what is in your control and what is out of your control. Everyone who's a victim in this world is obsessing over what's out of, out of their control. Everyone who's capable and powerful in this world is focusing on what is in their control. So then two learnings come out of this. Please say with me, acceptance, acceptance. grit. And grit means when it's in your control, doesn't mean it's easy, it's still, it takes effort. It's not easy. Getting up in the morning, doing your gratitude, doing your yoga, doing your pranayama, having a glass of water, all of these nice habits, we know about it. You just, we still don't do it. It takes grit. It takes effort. But that is very wholesome effort. The wise ones do the difficult things first. Their life becomes easy. The foolish ones do the easy things first. Their life becomes difficult. Saving is difficult, but then your life becomes easy. Spending is easy, but then your life becomes difficult. Credit card usage is so easy, right? Swipe, swipe, swipe. <laughs> There's a nice saying that too many people spend money that's not really theirs to buy things they don't really like, don't really need, to impress people they don't really like. <laughs> right? So this is very important, to become conscious. To become conscious of what we are doing with our attention, with our time. So acceptance and grit, these two things will take us through our life. Distinguish what is in my control, what is out of my control. What's out of my control, okay, acceptance, fine, that's the way it is. Because resistance is equal to suffering. Suffering, the formula for suffering is experience multiplied by resistance. So if that is the formula for suffering, tell me what's the formula for happiness? If experience multiplied by resistance is suffering, tell me what happiness is? By acceptance. And use some more words. Acceptance is one possible word. What are the other words? Experience multiplied by? By sharing, very nice. What else? By giving, fantastic, yeah. But never mind. <laughs> You're getting angry of it. In fact, all those sattva gunas we talk about, you say gratitude, you say generosity, you say love, you say compassion, you say being. Experience multiplied by that is happiness. But all the resistant states, now how do you know it's resistant? When you think the thought, it makes you feel tight, compressed. It makes you feel heavy. It makes the journey ahead seem very convoluted. Then you know that thought doesn't suit you. Maybe it served your father, maybe it served other people, it doesn't suit you. Just like sometimes eating eggs suits a lot of people. For me, I'm allergic to eggs. When I eat eggs, I vomit. Doesn't suit me. Fine, you can have it. Doesn't suit me. I've got to be on conscious of what suits me, right? You go for a buffet, why are you copying what other people are taking? You take what suits you, what you find useful. This life is a buffet. And your job is to show up. There's a lovely saying, let's say it together. Don't ask what the world needs, ask yourself what makes your heart sing. Because what this world really needs, because what this world really needs is people with hearts that sing. So don't ask what the world needs, ask what's making your heart sing. What this world really needs is more people with hearts that sing. Can you be in touch with what makes your heart sing? And that's the best gift you can give to the world. Right? Uh, there's a new book that everyone is trying to sell nowadays. It's called Ikigai. Have you heard of Ikigai? Yeah. It's got four dimensions to it. Ikigai. Let's say it together. What I love, what I'm good at, what benefits others, and what pays the bills. It's a different kind of four-way test. <laughs> Do you love it? Are you good at it? Does it benefit someone? And does it pay your bills? If all four are touched, now this is your Ikigai. In modern life, youngsters are mostly going to hit two points. Am I good at it? Does it pay my bills? Do you like it? And not, not always. They're not always in touch. I mean, that's hopefully, right? So our aim should not just be, does it pay my bills? Or am I good at it? It should be all four. It should pay my bills. Why should I go depending on other people? I should be very complete within myself. Right? In my work also, when I was a monk, 
I never had to charge money from anybody. Because my needs were so few. I would just have one meal a day, I would wear my robes. There were no, no requirements. Right? When I left the robes, then somebody organized a session for me in Bangalore. So I went to Bangalore. They organized, they paid for my flight ticket, they set up the whole thing up. And people came, and I gave a wonderful two-day session. Everybody enjoyed it. And there was a donation box, and we connected 300 rupees in donation. <laughs> I said, oh, this is how it works. As a monk, I would have got 30,000 rupees. Just because I'm not a monk, now the perception has changed. All right, so this is how the game is played. So, all right, so now we'll charge. Right? So then I became very comfortable. All right, so we're going to charge then. So like this, you realize what role do you have? Where are you? What's happening? Does it pay my bills? Am I good at it? Do I love it? And does it benefit others? And when all those four things are touched, now you can, you can, you can trust on that. And it will keep on evolving. It's not, a, it's not a static thing. What you love, what you're good at, keeps on evolving. What you're truly called to serve, show up, share your gifts, and synergize. You've got to pay attention to that. So one nice practice you've learned is the Lotus of Gratitude and any kind of gratitude practice, any kind of welcoming practice. Another great practice is some time for yourself. Like I mentioned, all those CEOs took out some time where there were no voices. So can you have some time where the only voice you have is a voice in your own head? And even that voice you say, okay, now chup. <laughs> Enough. <laughs> I don't have to keep on talking all the time. Right? One nice question to ask yourself, and I ask myself this question many times in the day. You also say with me, thinking, is it really required right now? <laughs> so when I'm brushing my teeth and the mind is going, okay, now, is it really required? I'm brushing my teeth. Can I just brush my teeth? Do I have to have a big plan for the day right now? Right? Right? When I'm sitting on the balcony, is thinking really required right now? Let me just enjoy the sky. Do I have to think about the sky? Just enjoy. When you're there, just can you enjoy it without making a big story around it? Notice how we get pushed out. We worked so hard to come and enjoy that balcony. Have you seen this movie, Dasvedanya? Some of you? Dasvedanya, it's a Hindi, Hindi movie, Russian word. Dasvedanya means goodbye. I think Vinay Pathak, it's a great movie, you should watch it, right? Vinay Pathak has a habit, some of you may have this habit, wakes up in the morning, makes a to-do list. Every day, 10 to-dos, right? Every day, to-do list, mummy ke hearing aid ki battery khatam ho gai, nahi battery Wo masala khatam ho achar khatam ho Like we all make our to-do list, right? Day after day, he's making a to-do list. Starts getting these stomach pains, goes to a doctor, Doctor very matter-of-factly says, I'm sorry, you've got a stomach cancer, you've got three months to live. And he's shocked and he's walking the streets on, of Bombay like a zombie. What happened? What just happened? You've got a slap on his face from the doctor. You're going to die in three months. Next day he sits down to make his to-do list. He says, what rubbish is this? Throw the way to-do list. <laughs> Ten things I want to do before I die. Ten things I want to do before I die. And the rest of the movie is, he'd fallen in love with a girl in college but never had the courage to tell her. Now she's married, but he goes and he tells her. He wanted to buy his own car, but he was saving money. He buys that car. All the things he's been putting off. His brother has a relationship with his brother, had become bad. Call the brother over. And towards the end of the movie, he's standing with his brother in the balcony. And they're noticing, because he's quite high up in Bombay, skyscraper. And they're saying, you know, I sit for a I sit for a long time in this balcony. When I bought the house, I thought, I'm going to chai here. After buying I would just come here to dry my towel. I never came to the balcony. You know, don't we do that sometimes? We'll buy this house, we'll see this view. Whoever sees the view, you get caught up in your life. He says, now I sit here for hours. I see lovers meeting. I see kids playing. This is happening, that is happening. This is life. And I enjoy this. This is the best part of my day. I sit here for hours. What you will really enjoy at the end of all of this is coming to that drashtabhav. After you've played the game many, many, many times, now Drashtabhav, witnessing. That witnessing consciousness. There are many ways to develop it. Meditation is only one of the ways. 
you find the way that helps you like sound healing when you after a point there is only vibration and there is that which knows the vibration and these are the ultimate realities spandan and the consciousness the vibration the universe is vibrating and that which knows the vibration shiva and shakti and even deeper they are one without vi- without consciousness there is no vibration without vibration there is no consciousness they are one this is liberation this is freedom this is freedom from duality any activity that you enjoy do you enjoy gardening well give your whole heart into gardening enter that silent space an old man was asked why are you sowing these apple seeds you're so old they'll not even grow up by the time you you know in your lifetime he smiled and said but then how would i have enjoyed apples somebody put the apple trees when i was a kid and i could enjoy the apples you see so this is what you're doing here in rotary it's not only excellence it's significance you're trying to sow seeds that go far beyond you how much time do i have left or have i already about my time just so we conclude we have another 30 minutes very good so let's learn now another practice this is a beautiful practice called say with me the wonder method this is a very beautiful practice i use this practice throughout the day i think you will also enjoy this practice to learn this practice keep a straight back close your eyes just empty yourself I'd like you to feel the touch of your in-breath. Notice where inside your nostrils you feel the touch of the in-breath. Similarly the out-breath. When you breathe in it touches somewhere. When you breathe out it touches somewhere. Notice carefully in-breath is a little bit cooler usually. Out-breath is a little bit warmer. in breath is a little more distinct out breath a little more subtle as you're doing this some thought will come the mind will wander when you notice the mind has wandered that's called a half push up when you bring it back to the breath it's called a full push up and you're building your attentional muscles now from the sensation in your nostrils become aware of the sensation in your forehead top of the head back of the head become aware of sensations in your neck on your shoulders relax your shoulders on your upper back middle back lower back <coughs> bring your attention to the buttocks the back of the upper legs the back of the lower legs soles of the feet both the feet 
front of the lower legs, knees, both the thighs. Just notice what you're feeling in each part, the abdomen area, the belly area, your entire chest, your fingertips, all the fingers, palm and back of the hand, lower arms, upper arms, both the shoulders, the throat, the whole face, back to the nostrils. Now as you're breathing in, feel the whole body as you're breathing out, feel the whole body. And I'd like you to meet this present experience with a sense of wonder, a sense of fascination. Like you're looking at it with fresh eyes. It's a fresh experience. Think of some place in your life where you're feeling stuck, obstructed, some place in the life that feels tricky, stuck, tight, could be a relationship, could be a health issue, could be anything. As you think of that, something happened inside of you, something shifted, maybe a tightness in the stomach, maybe a dryness in the mouth. Something will always happen. Notice it and meet it with a sense of wonder. Any experience met with wonder gets processed. Any experience met with wonder gets integrated. Any experience met with resistance becomes an emotion. gets trapped. In this moment, experience whatever you're experiencing with a sense of wonder and fascination. The kind of wonder when you, you feel when you look into a child's eyes. The kind of wonder of looking at the sky at night. or anything else that creates wonder for you. Bring that attitude of wonder right now. And in this moment, bring up a sense of gratitude. Gratitude to be alive. Gratitude to be even having this experience. Even the willingness to look inside, you can be grateful. So in this moment, gratitude. Even if it's unpleasant, 
gratitude. Feel that gratitude. Really feel it. And let's go a little deeper. Recognize that you are a powerful creator. You're so powerful. You've created this experience. And now you're getting hypnotized by your own creation. You created this family, you created this work, you created this community, and now you're getting hypnotized by your own creation. How powerful you are. So step into the seat of the creator and have a sense of awe, wonder, what an amazing creator I am. I've created this. If I can create this, I can create anything. So from the seat of the creator, step into your own power, from this place, from the place of the creator, we will make some powerful choices. I'll give you three examples. I choose to see everyone I meet as divinity in disguise. I choose to laugh about the things that earlier made me cry. I choose that everyone who comes into my field leaves leaving better than before, clearer than before, calmer than before. And with your eyes closed, anybody else can add some more. I choose, fill in the blanks, we'll pause for a breath or two. Somebody else will say something. I choose, say it clearly so we can all hear you. Anyone can start. I choose to wake up with gratitude every morning. Feel that, everybody. I choose to spread only love. I miss that. I choose to? Spread only to spread only love. I choose to show up fully for everything I do. Choose to show up fully for everything that I do. Choose to be happy. Let's go a little slower. Feel what each person is saying. Take a breath. Feel that happiness. I choose to keep myself happy and others happy. Keep myself happy and others as well. I choose to spread cheer. Choose to spread cheer. I choose to work for the whole day. I choose to work for the whole day.
I choose to be more accepting. Choose to be more? Enlightened, yes. <coughs> I choose to keep my inner child alive and happy. Let's have two more. I choose to connect with my soul. Connect with my soul. I choose to give up things that are not in my control. To give up the things that are not in my control. Think of one more in your own heart. What do you choose? Choose to be calm. Choose to be calm. We'll all take a deep breath. Rub your palms together, make them nice and warm, nice and warm, nice and warm, nice and warm. And if you like, bring them over your eyes, over your face. You can open your eyes. Let's say together, how wonderful. So we learned a very simple process called the wonder method. You became aware of your breath. You felt what you're feeling. From that, you see, we said thinking, feeling, and being. The best way to calm your thinking is to give it something really simple. Like for example, in the beginning of the session, I said, notice what sounds you're hearing. And in that moment, you were so focused on the sound, a natural inner silence came. You see, you cannot hear what I'm saying if there's inner noise going on. You can only hear what I'm saying when there's a relative inner silence. You cannot experience your life when there's a big inner noise and a storm going on inside. There has to be a relative quiet. You've got to simplify it. So we came to the breath quite simple. We all have breath. There's no Hindu breath, Muslim breath. There's no BJP breath. <laughs> there's just breath. There's nothing controversial about breath. Everybody can do breath, right? So be aware of the breath, the touch of the breath. And from the breath, become aware of the sensations. Again, it's a reality. It's a reality of your life. It's your deeper mind, your subconscious mind. Subconscious mind is thoroughly connected to feelings. It doesn't care what I'm saying. It's only concerned with pleasant, unpleasant. The main thing you should learn in your life is to notice. You, know, you want to develop intuition, notice when you feel strong and when you feel weak. It's telling you something. With certain people, you'll feel strong. With certain people, you'll feel weak. With certain food, you'll feel strong. Certain food, you'll feel weak. Certain places, you'll feel strong. Certain places, you'll feel weak. That's your intuitive guidance. Don't overrule it with your thoughts. Trust it. Feel your way. There's a deeper intelligence there. The body has got between 20 to 200 trillion cells. Those scientists couldn't figure it out. That's how many cells there are. Within one cell, the DNA, if you stretch that DNA, if you stretch all that DNA, goes to the moon and back 140 times. It's crazy, right? So this is, this is the magic of our, of our this is the infinite intelligence over here. Trust that. Your feelings are the hum of your cells. Your cells are communicating. 
That's your feeling. Trust that. There's a deeper guidance there. It's more than your programming. Trust that. So we came to the world of feelings. And now whatever you're feeling, you may be feeling strong, you may be feeling weak, meet it with wonder. Because what did I say? A feeling met with wonder, what happens? It gets processed. It gets integrated. It's not a problem, actually. A feeling met with judgment, resistance, becomes an emotion, becomes a pattern. Why are you stuck in your life? Because you're constantly judging. Every, you're judging yourself, you're judging the experience, you're judging the world. Welcome. Welcome to being trapped. How do you come out of being trapped? Wonder. Then we also did gratitude. Even if it's unpleasant, gratitude, I'm alive. I'm experiencing this. Please say with me, compared to someone, my problems are acute. But compared to someone, my problems are so cute. <laughs> Isn't that true? It's so cute, right? So be grateful. I've got some very cute problems. Very cute. Right. And then we came to the seat of the creator. Instead of being a victim in your life, remember the Stoics? Distinguish what's in your control and out of your control. So now come into the creator mode. You are the creator of your local universe. You're not a victim at all. You're in incredibly powerful. Viktor Frankl, who was a prison of, uh, kept as a, in the concentration camps in, in the World War II, he noticed the difference between liberty and freedom. His tormentors had liberty, but he had freedom. They had liberty to move their hands and legs, the tormentors, but they didn't have freedom in their mind because they were being forced by the authorities to do what they had to do. And he, while he was, they were doing experiments on his body, you know, these in the Jewish, Jewish people, they were experimented on, they were cut open, all kinds of crazy things happened. And he said, I have the freedom within me to not hate them. They know not what they do. Jesus said this, forgive them, Lord, they know not what they do. It doesn't just apply to them, it applies to you. Forgive yourself. You did not know what you were doing. If you knew you were cutting your own feet, you would not have done it. But you didn't know, you see. But now you're beginning to know. So gratitude. Stepping into being a creator. You're a powerful, powerful creator. And from the place of a creator, what do I choose? I choose, I choose, I choose, I choose. And then you inhabit your own universe. You're coming to the place of intention, sankalpa. So the two highest vibration places to live in this world, say with me, conscious intention and conscious non-intention. <laughs> conscious intention is you launch some kind of a dream, a vision. But at the end of all those dreams and visions, after all the, your rotary projects, at the end of it all, you just want, ha, thera, like we say, done, enough, enough. You eat food, so the hunger is quenched. The thirst is quenched. You, just only to come, come, bring it to an end. At the end of it all, still, the great sages of India were asked, how come you have such few belongings? How come you're happy with just one little piece of cloth, Ramana Maharshi, one little piece of cloth covering him? That's it, nothing else. And he said, I used to believe that I am this body. I now realize this universe is my body. <laughs> so when you realize the universe is your body, what will you go? When was the last time in your vision list or your goal list, you say, okay, one more kidney, <laughs> one more heart, a little longer intestine. Have you ever said that? What rubbish. One more finger. No, we don't want another finger. We have our fingers, we have our kidneys, we have it, right? So that only comes because you feel you don't have. The reason you're making intentions because you feel something is out of place. At the deepest level, nothing is out of place. Everything is in its place. When you realize everything is in its place, that's when your mind is one with God's mind. That is the state of oneness that we're all looking for. Alright? So today's session, we've learned a few simple things, a few simple practices. We talked about the lotus of gratitude. 
Right? We talked about waking up with clarity, becoming aware of who we are. And throughout our day, here are three nice mantras. You already learned one of them. Say with me, how wonderful. So no matter ha what happens today, what will you say? So when you go out and somebody's parked behind your car, what will you say? Oh, how wonderful. Someone's parked behind <laughs> Fascinating. <laughs> Something fascinating has happened, right? Instead of getting all irritated, right? You've got a car. I mean, you're able to, I mean, no matter what, you'll be able to get out of there in no time. Getting irritated about small, small things, how wonderful. In everything situation. One person wrote to me, Nitya, I missed my flight. How wonderful. <laughs> he said, I was thinking that, okay, now I can sit in the airport. I can have some Starbucks coffee. Next flight will go. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, you change your mindset, right? How privileged we are. How ridiculous. The vast majority of this country, when they see us, I'm sure your maids and all, when they see you cribbing, they say, what's wrong with you, man? What are you cribbing about? You've got everything. You've got a house, you've got kids, you've got education. What are you cribbing about? But we crib and crib and crib. This complaining habit needs to go. So I have chosen for myself, and I hope you choose for yourself. Please say with me, to live a complaint-free life. But of course, you will not be successful. I'm also not successful. <laughs> so when you catch yourself complaining, you say one word. Say with me, cancel, cancel. Alright, so today, all through the day, whenever you catch yourself complaining, what will you say? Cancel, cancel. And sometimes I even catch other people complaining, I say cancel. I say, what happened? <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> it's like, why? Why would I believe such a poor quality thought? You know, it's like you're, when you're, someone gets a hard little uh, pen drive, flash drive, you say, the virus on <laughs> I better check, there might be a virus, you're going to spoil my computer. In every interaction, be conscious, are they passing a virus onto you? You're not good enough, they're not good enough, the world is not good enough. At least mentally, I definitely say cancel, cancel. I don't want you, please keep that. That is your story. That is not my story. I do not want that story. Right? In the Buddha's time, some people were abusing him and screaming at him and shouting at him. He just kept calm. When they went away, the monk said, Lord, why did you not reply to them? They said, it's unfair things, horrible things. He smiled and said, before you became a monk, did people get you gifts? Yeah, they got gifts. Sometimes you did not accept the gift, what happened? They took it back. The person who got the gift took it back. These people got me gifts. I did not accept their gifts. <laughs> they took back their gifts. When I throw a dagger in the sky, what happens? lands on me only. When I throw flowers in the sky, what happens? Lands on me only. We want to become like the sky. So say with me, I am the sky. Everything else is weather. This is the reason our Indian spirituality and world wisdom is telling you, realize you are the sky. You are not this person who you think you are. If you spend your whole life thinking you're a person, you have lost an opportunity. A big opportunity. While you're in the play, realize you are not off the play. Let the play go on. Even play a role in the play, but I am not this, I am that, I am that. I am the screen on which this universe is projected. I am the creator of all of this Leela. And I'm, I'm not going to get fooled by my own Leela. I am a powerful creator, I am not going to get hypnotized by my own creations. This is the reason we practice. So everything you're learning here, the wonder method, the, the gratitude, all of this is to come to that place of waking up. Self-actualization, self-realization. Self-actualization in the dream, Play a good role. Be embodied. Self-realization, realize this is none, none of this is mine. A man went to a Sufi's house, completely empty. He said, what, where, are your, where are all your things? Where are all your furniture? Sufi looked at him with a lot of concern. Where are all your things? He said, no, no, I'm just a visitor. Sufi said, so am I. <laughs> right? So Sufi is so free, so detached from everything. Does anyone have any questions before we complete? Go ahead. You were all set. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I have two questions. Yeah, please. You said about happiness. Happiness is a state of mind. Yeah. And the mind is conditioned by past, present, and what we will to happen in the yeah. future. The mind is so volatile. Yes. It does not stay in one place. 
is there any exercise or mantra or something where you can tame this mind so that you are in the present? Very nice, very beautiful. Very nice. My second question is that yeah. out of curiosity, I want to know what is Buddhism? Is it a way of life or is it a way of thinking? Very nice, great. So, for uh, this is the recognition that your mind is the cause of all the troubles is a very big recognition, not a small thing. Many people will spend their whole life thinking, if only my husband improved, my kids improved, the society improved, then I'll be happy. This itself, the recognition that this mind is the cause of much of this trouble, this is a huge recognition. And then the work begins, the practice begins, right? So, like I, I kind of give you a hint when I was teaching you about the meditation. When your mind wanders and you notice it wanders, what is it called? Half push-up, you bring it back, that's a full push-up. So many of us are conditioned to think that when I meditate, my mind wanders, it's a bad meditation. My teacher said, no, it's not a bad meditation. Because normally our mind wanders, you don't even notice. In meditation, you notice, oh, I was supposed to do this, what am I doing? You bring it back. It'll wander, you'll bring it back. It'll wander, you'll bring it back. The reason we get troubled by this is because we have identified ourselves with the mind. Little by little as you practice, you'll, you'll no longer identify so much with the mind, you'll identify with the silence of the background. It's a matter of, you know, moving my weight from my left foot to my right foot and eventually even lifting the foot up. Where is the most weight? For most of us, the weight is on the thinking and the feeling apparatus. As you learn to, again, the word entrainment is nice. You start matching that vibration. You start matching that way of being. So in meditation, little by little, you start resting in the silence. I am the sky. Thoughts will come and go. You know, when we eat food, we all eat breakfast, most of us. That digestion is on. Acids are there. All kinds of things are there. Enzymes are there. We don't identify ourselves with that. That's acid. That's the stomach doing its stomach thing. So please realize your thoughts are your brain doing your brain thing. It's not you. This is a big realization. There are thoughts. I am not these thoughts. So after years, I began meditating at the age of 16. It's been so many years, more than 20 years I've been meditating. My mind still wanders. The difference is I don't take it personally. Because I don't identify myself as a mind. The mind is doing its mind thing. So the main thing to recognize is when it wanders, recognize, yes, it wandered. Bring it back to whatever your, whatever your task at hand is. Right? This, in, this is enough. And not just for 5 minutes in the day, 10 minutes in the day. This has to be a living practice. Right? This create, the reason we have a split in our world between spirituality and materialism is because we have confined it to practices. You know, five minutes of the prayer in the morning, little meditation, no, that's not. The real practice is throughout your day. In my monastery, our teacher did not allow any sitting Buddha statues, talking, coming to the second question. He said, why? He said, people think uh, Buddhism is about closing your eyes and sitting. That's, not, that's rubbish. The Buddha has an active life. In our monastery, we only had standing Buddha statues and walking Buddha statues. And then we would come, he kept, our teacher kept us very busy throughout the day. And we said, you know, we don't get time to meditate. And he would say, do you have time to breathe? Yeah, we have time to breathe. If you have time to breathe, you have time to meditate. It may begin as a, as a thought, but it has to become a way of life. Like we said, view, practice, and conduct. The view is the thought. And check, is the thought right for you? Not every thought is right for everybody. Does the thought expand you? Does it contract you? Does the thought make you lighter or tighter, heavier? Does the way ahead seem more convoluted or more clear? If it's feeling expansive, if it's feeling light and clear, trust that thought. There's a nice teaching, let's say it together. No thought is true, but some thoughts are truer. <laughs> so no map is the terrain, but some maps are a better representation of the terrain. So no thought, even the Buddhist thoughts are all actually at one level, they're all fabrications. No thought is true. No medicine is health. But the meditation will adjust you back to health. The thoughts will adjust you back to your true well-being, who you really are. Thesis, antithesis, synthesis. Thesis, antithesis, synthesis. This is how it goes.
right? So definitely not only a way of life, I would say it is life. Even a way of life represents someone is walking on the way of life. This is an assumption. So the teaching of the Buddha is, there is a path, but no one walks it. There is suffering, but no one suffers. There is nirvana, but no one enters it. What a fascinating thing, right? This is a beautiful thing to discover. It's not Nitya Shanti talking to the Rotarians. It is life talking to life. And whatever helps you get to that place, that would be a good teaching, that will be a true teaching. Whether it's the Pachamama, the, the tribals who say, wake up, wake, awaken the dreamer. Or whether it's some of the other tradition that we are following over here. In Hinduism, we have opposites that are still called Hinduism. A part of Hinduism says, everything is Maya. Another part of Hindu, Kashmir Shaivism says, there is no Maya. The idea of Maya is the Maya. Everything is Shiva. Everything is God. Right now, God is talking to God. God incarnate is meeting God incarnate. This is Kashmir Shaivism. So I met this Kashmir Shaivism, then what are you supposed to do? If everything is God, what is left to do? So he smiled and said, please say with, say with me, enjoy and be spontaneous. <laughs> this is the teaching of Kashmir Shaivism. You can't get it wrong. God is here to enjoy his own creation. So I would say try different points of view. Try the Buddhist point of view. Try the Advaita point of view. Try whatever tradition you come from. And at the end of it, drop all of the point of views. Enjoy the storytelling and then realize it's all a one big story. Who am I without these stories? Who am I? That's the real place we want to get to. And yes, the mind will wander and everything, but don't identify so much with that. That doesn't matter. You keep doing the work. Don't worry. The Gita says, Karam Kar. So do the practice. Don't worry about how long and when. Your very effort is your, you are completing your dharma. Don't worry about the outcome of it. The fact that I'm able to stand here and speak like this, I don't think this is only from this lifetime. Not at all. From a young age, why is it that I'm drawn to these things? It is not just from one lifetime. So one, one would say, you're so young, you're understanding. I would say, I don't know how many lifetimes I've been lazy, so now I'm getting it. <laughs> I don't know how long I've been postponing, so now I'm getting it. This is a, this is a game. This human age has no value like that. You have to look inside yourself and say, now what is for me inspiring? You trust that spark of inspiration inside yourself. And all the others, Nitya Shantis and the Buddhas and all the others, they're here to point you back to that inner spark. And if they're doing that, they're doing a good job. If they're getting you lost in stories and concepts, we're missing the point. That's not the point. Yeah? Anybody else wants to say something? Go ahead. What's your name? Yeah, I'm Jagdish. Jagdish. Uh, my question is, uh, some people catch sleep faster. Yes. And as they go to bed, they just catch True, sleep. yeah. Uh, some people's you know, mind is where they go around yeah. and then it pulls their things and then bring it to control them. It can, yeah. Well, one very basic thing would just be the habits that they have. Did you know that caffeine has a half-life of about eight hours? So if you drank caffeine after two o'clock, it's going to affect your sleep. Any caffeine had after two o'clock, any tea, I and mean, in India we have tea, we're having tea all the time. It affects our sleep. Actually, Indians are some of the worst sleep quality in the world, they're finding, right? Because we have a lot of bad habits. Did you know that before the light bulb was invented, people on average slept nine to 10 hours? After the light bulb became 8 hours, after television became 7 hours, and in today's world with mobile phones is between 5 to 6 hours. So this is also a habit pattern. Did you know that blue light, right now this is more of a yellow spectrum light, tube lights and blue lights, it has a big impact on your sleep. So if your house is full of tube lights, energy saving lights, you're missing out on sleep. Because that light messes with your brain. Your brain thinks it's daytime. You feel all wide alerts. If you're eating food within the last 3 hours of sleeping, it's going to impact your sleep. Alcohol within the last 2 hours is going to impact your sleep. All of these things impact your sleep, very heavy physical exercise. So first look at your habits more than anything else. What habit patterns do you have? Right? And then if you're still not getting sleep, use there's a nice thing called a switch word. 
So when you lie down, the thoughts keep coming. Just say with me, off. And thought comes with off. <laughs> keep saying off, 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 and it'll go off. Your mind is incredibly powerful. When you need a new idea, you say on, <laughs> on, 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 and new ideas will come. Right? Use the power of your mind. Your mind is incredibly powerful. Whatever you're seeking, focus on it with clarity, with intention, it happens. The training we are getting over here is, please say with me, intention before attention. In other words, be more intentional about your attention. When you do that, the Buddha says, Yoni so manasikara. You are now having a wise, wise attention. You know where your mind is going. If you really can't sleep, alright. The yogis didn't sleep. The yogis would meditate. Alright, so now watch your breath. Think of what you are grateful for. Send blessings. Instead of worrying about things, send blessings. All the world problems, all the family problems, okay, blessings, infinite blessings. Tera mangal ho, tera mangal ho, sabka mangal ho. The Buddha says the one who sends loving, loving wishes like this sleeps well, has pleasant dreams. When they wake up, everybody likes them, even animals like them. The Buddha even says fire cannot burn such people, poisons cannot harm such people. Even an arrow shot at you cannot penetrate, it will get deviated. That's the aura that gets created around you. This is the power of love. And then the Buddha says when death approaches, the mind is clear. And when you die, there are only two possible outcomes for you. You go to Brahmalok or you go into Nirvana. Brahmalok is what? Immaterial. It is not, even the physical body is gone. It is just mind momentum, pure mind momentum. Some of you had a deep meditation in your life, you'll recognize mind momentum. The body disappears. There's just a momentum of mind, right? So only two opportunities. Either mind momentum or freedom from this entire complex. And so this is so when you're, when you're not getting sleep at night, generate loving wishes. Mera mangal ho, tera mangal ho, sabka mangal ho. That's like an ignition switch. And once the car starts, shift from thinking to feeling. And think from shift from feeling to being. just being. That's our journey. Beautiful. How wonderful. Feeling complete? Yes. All right. Thank you. Wonderful. <laughs> Want to hear it one more time? Yeah. Please say with me, I choose to make this a complaint-free day. When I catch myself complaining, I smile and say, cancel, cancel. <laughs> I fill this day with gratitude and appreciation. No matter what happens, I smile and say, how wonderful. The highest in me bows to the highest in you. May every day be a blissful day of your life. May the rest of your life be the best of your life. And so it is. And so it is. Tathastu. Very nice.
All right, everybody. It's been a joy. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Namaste. Wonderful. All right. Good. Yes, Aisha, go ahead. How wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> it was such an amazing experience, Mr. Shanti, and, and Mr. Padmaja for giving me this opportunity to thank you. Yes. And I realized when you started speaking, I thought I would note down a few things, and then I started to realize, what am I doing? I'm not in the moment, yeah. so I better listen, and I think we all have got a lot of knowledge and insight on how we can improve our lives. Thank you so much. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you.